We're sort of nearly at the beginning of a new academic year, aren't we? Still a few people were on holiday, students creeping back. Um, but it feels like, particularly after the last year or so, it feels like, God willing, a bit of a, a new start. Uh, and so what I want to do this morning is restart something that we've been on and off uh, doing for nearly four years now. If you're new to Christchurch, um, you might not know the church is it's nearly four years old. Um, we began, uh, I think, sort of late, well, mid-ish September uh, 2017. So in one sense, we're all pretty new to each other. And we began uh, the first Sunday by looking at Matthew's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 1. And nearly four years later, uh, this morning, at the beginning of our, our fourth year, we'd look at Matthew chapter 19. Now, I should let you know we've not been going so slowly. That's all we've done for four years. We've been going around all sorts of different places on the way. But it is our practice to try and preach through books of the Bible so that um, God's word will be set in the agenda. So rather than me sitting at home week by week thinking, oh, I wonder what I fancy speaking on this week, uh, we, we, um, we tend to preach through books. Part of the reason for saying it, uh, saying that now, is that the passage we're going to begin with, particularly as a beginning of a new series, is probably not the kind of one you would choose if you were picking. If you look just at the heading of Matthew 19, uh, in the ESV, uh, the version that, that are around on your chairs, it's called Teaching About Divorce. Now, that's not a very good title for reasons we'll see in a moment. But the whole topic of marriage and divorce is not one you typically would launch a new year with. And yet it is in God's word. Jesus speaks about it. Uh, and so we will think about it uh, this morning. I'm going to read Matthew 19. Uh, verse 1 through to verse 12. Let's hear uh, the voice of the Holy Spirit. So, Matthew 19. Now, when Jesus had finished these sayings, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. And Pharisees came to him and tested him by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. They said to him, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? He said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. The disciples said to him, if such is the case of a man with his wife, it's better not to marry. But he said to them, not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it's given. There are eunuchs who've been so from birth. There are eunuchs who've been made eunuchs by men. And there are eunuchs who've been made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who's able to receive this, receive it. Uh, imagine you go to a friend's house. Uh, a good friend, close friend, perhaps you've not been for a while. Uh, and as you come through the door, you see a photo. And it's a photo of you. Uh, in fact, it's a photo you took uh, of yourself. Uh, and gave to your friends. It's the kind of photo you, you quite liked. 
It's kind of photo that would have gone on, on Instagram or Facebook or, or whatever. Okay, the light caught you in the right way, the kind of right angle. Uh, everything was, was looking good. The kind of photo you want people to see. Except as you look at your friend's photo, you realise, well, you realise she's drawn a little moustache underneath your nose. Uh, she's, she's got on the sort of photo editing software and added some, some pus and some spots. Uh, she's somehow sort of blown you up. So you're sort of five, six stone heavier uh, than you are in real life. And not only that, but she's made sure this photo is now kind of poster-sized right inside the front door. So when anyone comes into her house, that is what they'll see. How do you feel? Or if you went home and you, your mum had done that? You'd feel pretty rough, wouldn't you? And if your friend was to say to you, well, look, hey, it's my picture. It's nothing to do with you. I suspect you wouldn't be buying it. Yes, it may be your picture in your house, but it's a picture of me. Uh, so what you do with my image matters. And when you distort it, you're not just distorting a little picture that you own. You're distorting, well, you're distorting other people's perception of what I am like. I haven't done the maths because I couldn't do it quick enough uh, and I'm uh, not good uh, good enough at mental arithmetic. But something like a third of the people in this room own a, a picture of Jesus uh, and all your friends and family have seen it. Now, I didn't do that mental arithmetic by creeping into your houses last night and looking on the walls to see if you've got a little kind of icon. I don't think it's a particularly good idea to have a physical picture of Jesus for reasons we won't go into right now. Uh, but rather, the, the, the roughly a third of the people in this room, I think, uh, bear the image of Jesus in their marriage. Right from the beginning of the Bible, we're told that one of the reasons God created marriage was to be a picture of his love, particularly his love in Jesus, for his people. And so if you are married... Uh, your marriage, amongst all sorts of other things, we'll, we'll touch on a bit later, but amongst all sorts of other things, it's meant to be a picture of the gospel. And therefore, what you do with your marriage, how you live it out, how you treat your spouse, has significance not just for your own personal happiness, although of course it does, not just for the happiness of your kids and your, your wider family, although of course it does, but also it has significance for how people see Jesus and the gospel. And to put it really bluntly, the more we scuff up the picture, the harder it's going to be for anyone to see Jesus through us. And perhaps we've got friends who aren't Christians who are not quite sure why we're into all this kind of weird stuff. Why do you believe in this God that I can't see? And what about science? And all sorts of very valid questions. And we, we, we can engage in, in, in debates. We can talk with them. Okay, Christianity is a faith that is, is defendable. It's not this kind of leap in the dark. But, but we know in part from the Bible and just from experience that often it's how we live that, that first makes people think, well, maybe there is something here. Marriage is absolutely central to that. Children, on your sheets. Uh, you've got a sheet like normal that's got sort of things that you can write the Bible passage in and questions, all the rest of it. But if you look on the back of it, I put a picture of a man and woman getting married, a colouring in picture. Now, it's not just in case you get bored. Uh, well, that's a little bit that. 
it is, it is really what this whole sermon is about, this whole passage of the Bible, more importantly, is about. The man and the woman, if you like, are not just a prince and a princess, like found on Google, although again, they are that. Um, they they symbolise, if you like, Jesus and the church. So you could almost write Jesus under the man and the church. And the church doesn't mean a building, it means the people. You could write us under the bride. Marriage matters. And I think that's why Jesus teaches about it right here in the middle of the gospel. Uh, it's worth saying, I suppose, that um, it, it is going to be a personal issue for many of us. Uh, some of us uh, are married and it's painful. Some of us want to be married and it's painful not being married. Uh, some of us uh, have suffered divorce, either in our own marriages or perhaps in, in that of close families. So, so I don't want to pretend that, that, that today's passage and what I say is either going to be comprehensive, saying everything the Bible says about marriage, divorce, remarriage and these sort of things. Uh, it definitely won't be. And uh, one of the things pastorally uh, you learn, I suppose, over time is that you need to, to treat cases more or less individually. Of course, God has big picture rules, but, but you can't just stand at the front for 25 minutes and sort of solve all the issues. So it won't be comprehensive. And I do understand that for some, it will be painful to hear some of these things. I just want to acknowledge that at the beginning. I'm not trying to be insensitive, but our marriages and our, our family lives are areas that come under the lordship of Jesus. Because, of course, all areas of life come under his lordship. So two pretty simple things uh, this morning. Two pretty simple things about marriage. I notice this passage is about marriage, not about divorce, uh, primarily, although that triggers the incident. Uh, two things Jesus teaches. The first is that marriage is made in heaven. Okay, marriage is made in heaven. As, as, as the passage begins, uh, Jesus has just finished a whole bunch of teaching on the church. That's what went on in, in chapter 18, uh, a whole section. And he's moved from Galilee up in the north. Okay, so he's, up, he's been up in, I suppose, Cumbria, uh, Durham, down there. And he's heading south toward, into Judea, basically the kind of home counties where the capital city is. And we all know when you head south, it is bad news. Okay, yeah, you're going into the danger zone. And for Jesus, that's exactly what's going to happen. He is heading south towards the capital city, and he knows he's going to go to his death. And, and part of the, the, the reason he's going to end up being crucified is that various groups, parties, if you like, almost like political parties, religious factions, are, are, are gunning for him. One of whom comes straight out in verse 3, the Pharisees. Pharisees are a group, they're, they're kind of religious purists. And they come to test him, not test him in a kind of, I'm interested in knowing the answer, Jesus, but trick him. It's the same word that's used of the devil tempting Jesus earlier in the gospel. And they have a question. Are you allowed to divorce one's wife for any cause, for any reason? Now, it might sound a random question, but, but actually it was a kind of live hot topic uh, in the day. I suppose it'd be a bit like a year or two ago, if Jesus was walking in Leeds, someone said, what do you think about Brexit? It's kind of one of those debates that were just going on. And basically, there were two broad camps. Uh, one group of Jews, led by one particular rabbi, uh, thought that basically a man could divorce his wife for more or less any reason. Uh, back in Deuteronomy 24, um, no particular reason to turn to it, but back in Deuteronomy 24, uh, in the law that governed uh, the Jewish people, the law in the Old Testament, uh, we read this. When a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favour in his eyes because he's found some indecency in her and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of the house and she departs out of his house 
dot, 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 she can remarry, off we go. So one group of Pharisees say, look, oh, if you find any indecency, anything you don't like about your wife, you can just get rid of her. Another group said, no, no, that's not what it means. It's not just anything. It's talking about sexual immorality. Only if, only if the, someone has an affair can the marriage be broken. And you get examples from the day of people divorcing their wives. Uh, there's one where uh, I'm getting rid of my wife because the indecency I found uh, is she put too much salt in the meal. Another one, she, she burned my dinner. And these were seen as legitimate. And so the Pharisees are trying to pull Jesus into this debate. Which side are you on, Jesus? They've got a liberal side that says you can just end marriage anytime you want for any ridiculous reason. Or are you on the side that's much more conservative and says, no, you're bound together unless someone has an affair. <laughs> now, Jesus' answer is not to dive in and talk about divorce, but to talk about marriage. That's why this passage would be much better titled teaching about marriage than divorce. But two initial observations before we look at the substance of his answer. Uh, the first is just, just, just see what Jesus does. Verse four. He answered, Jesus answered, have you not read? Now, Jesus is is God in the flesh, the son of God come to earth. One of the things we know about God is he knows all things. One of the things the Bible says about him. What does Jesus do when someone asks him a question about marriage and divorce? What does he do? He licks his finger, licks his thumb and flicks back to the Old Testament. Have you not read? And he quotes Genesis in the first book of the Bible. The son of God goes to the Old Testament to say, if you want to know what God thinks, look here. For Jesus, the son of God, the Bible and the Old Testament was God's words. But do you see the mistake he makes? Do you see the mistake Jesus makes? Uh, In verse four. Uh, he answered them, have you not read that he created them from the beginning, made them male and female, and said, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. See where Jesus got it wrong. Oh, well, if you don't, keep a finger in Matthew and just flick to the passage he's quoting. Right back at the beginning of the Bible, Genesis. Uh, it's just page three, oh sorry, page two of our church Bibles. Now, okay, you've got, to, you've, got to, you've got to watch carefully to see Jesus' mistake, but it's there. Uh, have you not read, he says, that he who created my God and made them male and female, God said, and then he quotes Genesis, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother. But if you look at Genesis 2, chapter 2 and verse 24, there's the verse that, that, that Jesus is quoting. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. But who's speaking there? It's not God. At various times in, the, in, in Genesis 1 and 2, God speaks. You know, literally, Adam and Eve go and do this. But not here. Here is just the narrator. It's just whoever wrote Genesis, probably Moses. It's a small mistake, isn't it? But of course, it's no mistake at all. Everything the Old Testament says is the word of God. What scripture says, God says, and what God says, scripture says in Jesus' view. That is Jesus' view of the Old Testament. He has not made a mistake. 
The Old Testament is the word of God and authoritative for us. Uh, it's really important because nowadays, every now and again, people say things like, well, look, I'm a New Testament Christian, not an Old Testament Christian. Uh, that sort of stuff's passed away. Well, no, it hasn't. Of course, there, there, you know, there's more we, we need to say on that. Okay, there are reasons we're not sacrificing animals and all the rest of it. But it remains the word of God. And this, this verse that, that Jesus points us to from Genesis 2 tells us three things about marriage. First of all, it's designed. So it has a purpose. It's designed. Have you not read who he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, marriage is it's not a human institution. It's not something that back in the mists of time, um, some people came up with as a kind of useful way of structuring society. No, it was made in heaven, designed in heaven. And therefore, like all things that are designed, they have a, a purpose. There's a reason for them. You can you say lots of things about the purpose of marriage in the Bible. Uh, three that I often sort of come to in, in wedding services that I think are, are particularly prominent. Uh, one is procreation, okay, having children. Okay, Adam can't obey God's command to fill the earth because he can't have kids on his own. So he makes Eve a partner. And so together, Adam and Eve can have children and fill the earth with other images of God. So part of the point of marriage is having children and together, okay, together as a married couple, serving God. Procreation. It's there for preservation. Part of the point of marriage is it's, it's a founding, uh, sorry, a foundation stone of a healthy society. Rather than everyone sleeping with each other left, right and centre, kids going all over the place. No, it is a, it, an absolute rock solid foundation that keeps society together. It preserves society and it preserves our godliness. In 1 Corinthians 7, Paul says, look, if you, if you really can't handle your kind of sexual drives, then one thing to try and do is get married. Sex is a good gift, but it's like fire. It's a good gift that's good when it's used in the right place. Fire stays in the fireplace. Sex is for marriage. So, so, so marriage preserves society, preserves our god- godliness. And as I said earlier, it also proclaims the gospel. It pictures the gospel, Christ and his church. Now, that's, that's a very sort of slapdash, kind of um, 10,000 feet high view. But the basic point is that marriage was created by God. It is a building block. You could say the fundamental building block of society. And therefore, it's no surprise that when we try and sort of melt that block down, uh, undermine it, that actually there's a billion other consequences that we never saw coming. And we live in a society, particularly in England at the moment, that is moving towards, in fact, a law was passed last year, it will come into effect next year, uh, no-fault divorce. You want a divorce? Just go for it. Okay. Uh, the, sort of, the wait period is being shrunk down and down and down. No one has to have done anything wrong. The other person doesn't have to agree. If one of you wants out, basically that's it. And so we now live in a society where, as one study showed a few years back now, about four or five years ago, uh, a child is more likely to have a smartphone than a father living in the home. And, and it's just sad. Many of us will have experienced that. That will be your reality. Several of you this morning, many of you perhaps this morning. Marriage was designed to be this bedrock, this foundation stone. When we destroy it, it is not surprising that that so many other problems grow up. Our children full of anxiety, children going off the rails, children just with no shaping forces on their lives. Now, of course, 
If you are a single parent, you could be doing a great job. God is gracious, so please don't mishear this. Perhaps you are the, the child of a single parent who did a great job. I'm not saying that single parent families can never work and do never work. Of course they do. It seems that Joseph, Jesus' earthly father, died pretty young. He disappears off the scene after the kind of birth stories. He's just not there later on. So at some point, it seems Mary becomes a single parent. But that doesn't undermine the point that marriage is the fundamental building block of human society. So it was designed by God. It's therefore defined by God. You see, it has a pattern to it. Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast, be bound to. It's almost like a glue word. Uh, His wife, they become one flesh. Marriage has a definition. Um, it, it is not something we are free to, to meddle with. Well, I like to think marriage is this. Or nowadays, as society evolves, we've got to realise that marriage has to evolve with it. No. Because marriage was designed, it therefore has a definition. What is the definition? Well, it's one man. Do you see? He made the male and female. Gender isn't a social construct. It's not something you can change. We are male and female. And those differences are designed to be beautiful. One's not better than the other or senior to the other, but they are different. And that is part of God's good creation. In fact, when you read Genesis 1, you see that he makes lots of sort of opposites. And he makes the sun and the moon. He makes the heavens and the earth, the seas above and the, the, the waters below. There's all sorts of pairs if, you, if later you want to go and read through Genesis 1. And it's these opposites that go together so beautifully that are meant to display something of God's goodness and kindness and greatness. It wasn't random that God just thought, you know, I'll do a man and a woman, as if you could have thought three things. No, these opposites are meant to show, as we began, this great picture, particularly the marriage one, of God loving his people. They are different, but they come together in this union. And by the way, again, not quite where you'd start a new sermon series, but you sometimes hear people say, say things like, Jesus never speaks about same-sex marriage. Now, if you're, again, if you're new to church things, oh, here we go, there's Christians and homosexuality again, just what I'm expecting. Like, just for a moment, just, just park your kind of worries and concerns, all the rest of it. I'm trying to deal with the question of Christians who say, Jesus never talks about it. And so that somehow means that it's, it's totally legitimate to say that Jesus was perfectly happy with same-sex marriage. Two quick points. First of all, that's a really mad way to read the Bible. Jesus never speaks about it, therefore it's okay. Show me the passage where Jesus speaks about terrorism, okay, or arson, or drink driving, or, or drug trafficking, or people smuggling. It doesn't. Oh, he must be right with it then, because it's a mad way to read it. Of course he doesn't know right with those things. But also, he just does talk about it. What is marriage? Well, Jesus says, licks his finger, turns to Genesis. It is a man and a woman being bound together. Even our bodies, without being too graphic about it, are made with complementarity. One man, one woman. Again, someone says, oh, people in the Old Testament, there's guys like David who marry all sorts of women. They're more than one woman, so it's, yeah, it's hypocritical. Well, polygamy, marrying you know, a man, marrying lots of women, that is not a good thing. Okay, it's not a good thing. But, but it's not the same as, as two people of the same sex trying to marry. 
So if, if one, say, take David, David marries one woman and then another woman, those are still valid marriages. It's not good, he shouldn't have done it. Please don't mishear me, okay? I went to this church and the guy said, hey, you can marry who you want. No, no, no. Okay, but they are valid because David is married to one woman and then he marries another woman, but those women aren't married to each other, if you like. It's not suddenly three people in the marriage. David is just in lots of marriages. Okay, bad. But they are all legit marriages. That's why when missionaries go to cultures where polygamy is common, and perhaps, you know, classic example, uh, you know, the, the, the more important the, 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 uh, the figure in the village, the more wives he has, that then, then classically they didn't say, no, you know, if it's the chief, say, oh, you, you get rid of all your wives apart from the first one. So all these poor women were then cast out, you know, in a tribal society with no one to look after them. No, you can't be an elder in a church, even if you're the big chief in the village, but, but you do need to keep caring for these wives. But male and female is fundamental to what a marriage is. And they're bound together. Male and female become one flesh. Of course, that's only possible, without, again, without being graphic, it's only possible physically, male, female. But actually, the union isn't just talking about, about, about sex here, but what's called a covenant union. A bit later in the Bible, in the book of Malachi, God says marriage is a covenant. And this, this is where, again, I think as a society, and even perhaps as a church, we've drifted so far. I think we tend to think of marriage as more like a contract. Now, a contract, do you want to know, a contract is something that, an agreement between two people where you both agree to give stuff to the other person. So I might say to someone, look, um, you come and cut my lawn. I haven't got a lawn, actually. But anyway, if I had a lawn, I might say, you come and cut my lawn and I will give you £20. And we'd enter into a contract. He does something for me, mows the lawn. I do something for him in return, give him the £20. That's a contract. You do your bit, I'll do my bit. There's the deal. But marriage is a covenant. And in the covenant, it's not about putting conditions on the other person to see what you can get back, but rather binding yourself to them in love, unconditionally in love. So when you get a contract view of marriage, what you start thinking is, well... I will marry you and stay married to you as long as you provide these services for me. You know, as long as you stay attractive, as long as you stay funny, as long as you stay wealthy, as long as you stay slim, as long as you stay healthy, uh, as long as you stay sort of happy, whatever it may be, well, then I will continue to love you. But if you break that contract, I'm out. In other words, marriage is all about how I feel. As long as you make me feel happy, yeah, I'll stay with you. That's a contract. <laughs> a covenant and what Bible marriage is, biblical marriage, is a giving. I am here for you. No matter how you make me feel, because my role is to reflect God's love for his people. And God doesn't gain anything from us. He doesn't say when you know, we let him down uh, this week. He doesn't say, well... I'm not going to, I'm going to withdraw all the blessings because, well, you've not provided enough sort of good stuff for me this week. No, he just loves us. And that's what we're, that's how we're meant to love each other. Marriage is designed and defined by God. And also just, just interestingly, it is delivered by God. Do you see that? I, this is a, I think this is, again, so easy to miss this. Uh, verse 6. So, says Jesus, they are no longer, this couple are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. 
what God has joined together, let not man separate. What If you're married or if you've seen a marriage, what, what joined the couple? It wasn't the minister. It wasn't their love for each other. It wasn't them joining themselves to each other. It was God joining them. In other words, it's not just that marriage as a concept was made up there in heaven. But if you're married, your particular marriage was made in heaven. God designed you to be married to your husband, your wife. He joined you together. My marriage, in other words, is made in heaven. And that means two things, just by way of application, I suppose. Stay in and stay out. Okay, stay in and stay out. If you are married, stay in. You have committed to your spouse unconditionally. If you like, you've made a date with them in the future. On your wedding day, and apologies to those of you who, when I took your marriage, because I've said these things so many times, but on your wedding day, you said to your spouse, I will, not I do. Not I do love you today. Because of course you do, because they look lovely and they've scrubbed up. And But I will. That's why the vows are for rich and for poorer. Okay. The husband is not able to say at that point, sorry, how poor? What are we talking? Can we, we're not in sickness and in health. How sick? No. You don't know when you get married. God does, but you don't. But you commit. So stay in. That's what Jesus' problem with the Pharisees. You're all just trying to find a way out. Rather, start with marriage. And rather than finickety rules about divorce, commit to staying in covenantally like I have loved you covenantally. Uh, that might sound unromantic. Okay, maybe, maybe, again, maybe you're new to church. Maybe you're a Christian and you're newly married or, or you're hoping to get married soon. It's just so unromantic. Well, in a sense it is, but not really. Romance is a good gift. Okay, the Bible's full of romance. Uh, physical attraction is a good thing. But in reality, these things do wax and wane. It just will happen. The kind of, you know, heartbeat going 100 miles an hour, your tummy, all the rest of it. It's just not always going to be like that. Okay, three o'clock in the morning, children screaming, you're probably not going to feel like that. Okay, if someone is deeply ill, you may not feel like that. You'll be weeping and mourning. That The feelings might go up and down, but the covenant is like the, the soil in which the, the marriage grows. Okay, the, the flower of marriage grows. And it's the security of knowing this person has said they will stay with me through thick and thin. It's the security that allows you to be open, be yourself, and allows you to be truly loved. And actually allows the romance to flower again. So stay in if you're in, and obviously stay out. Well, stay out of other people's marriages. It's one of these things where I... I, I keep needing to learn lessons as a minister that I should have learned ages ago. Um, one of which is never, never step back from saying the most obvious thing. Uh, there are some things you think, oh, I don't need to say that to this group of people. And then you kick yourself three years later. It is, it is definitely possible that for some of you who are married, there's just a little seed, a little grain that, uh, in the corner of your mind that's begun to think, well, sh- she's nice. That actually you just find it easier with a colleague than you do with your wife or husband. And you've not been flirting, you've not gone down the road, or 
But actually, the door's just got to crack open. Just, just, just shut it. Don't be foolish. Christians fall into these traps as much as anyone else. So, marriage is made in heaven. But, but just, and I, we have to cover this too as we close. They are made in heaven, but they can be ended on earth. We do need the reality of the rest of the passage. Uh, therefore, verse 8. Sorry, verse 7. They come to back to him and say, well, what about that Deuteronomy passage? Moses said you could commanded you to divorce your wife. And Jesus says, no, no, no. It's because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce. Not commanded, not commanded you to divorce, but allows you. And he clarifies, he clarifies the debate, actually. I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual morality and marries another, commits adultery. Of course you can't divorce your spouse just because you don't feel like you love them anymore, or just because they're not as pretty as they were, or because they're not as wealthy as they are. Of course you can't divorce your spouse if they burnt the dinner. Covenants cannot be pulled apart. Apart from by sex and morality, says Jesus. Uh, sometimes, uh, if one spouse commits adultery, okay, sexual morality with somebody else, it may sadly mean the marriage needs to end. It doesn't have to end. And God willing, you'd work for, for reconciliation and forgiveness. But it may have to. It is permitted. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 7, Paul gives another example of if, 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 one, if a husband just abandons a wife, and disappears, runs off, and it's never really sorted out, and it just disappears, well, again, maybe divorce and remarriage is allowed again then. Uh, I probably ought to say, again, just in case, um, that, 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 if you, if, that um, in the case of uh, abuse within a marriage, okay, I think that is another grounds, for example, where the, the, the wife or the husband, actually, it can work both ways, would need to get out, and again, there may be grounds there. So this passage is not everything the Bible says about divorce and remarriage. And you definitely should not stay in a marriage where you're being abused. Okay, I, I really want that to be clear. And it would be no fault of yours if that marriage were to end. And if, if a marriage ends for one of these valid reasons, well, then the innocent party can remarry. See, that's in verse 9, isn't it? It's the exception clause. If you are divorced because your spouse has run off with someone else, well, you're free to remarry. No sin, no problem. So marriages can, sadly, be terminated on earth. Not our own whim. It's the kind of thing where we ought to be um, engaging with the church in particular. But it can happen. And again, some of you may know that pain. And the disciples are amazed, aren't they? Just that last bit. Wife, such is the case of a man with his wife. It's better not to marry. You're kidding me. As I would say, just that. We're in it for life. There's no. And you see, yeah, it's, it's big teaching. And he lists three categories of people. He calls them eunuchs. Eunuchs are, are uh, in um, ancient society, men, okay, who've been castrated, therefore can't get married, can't reproduce. And he says that it happens for three reasons. Uh, some are born that way. Uh, some are made that way by their lives, and, and some who choose to be that way. Now, again, okay, we're not going to pull into the weeds here too much. But basically, Jesus is saying, think about singleness. Think about singleness. Uh, some people, just from birth, they've got no desire to marry. Okay, they're, they're just fine with it. For some people, okay, the circumstances of life, they might like to, but it's just, it's, they force them uh, into being single, even if that's perhaps not their heart's desire. 
And others, I feel like single for the kingdom, they desire to be single. It gives me the time to serve God without all the concerns of family and children. Again, read 1 Corinthians 7 later that talks about this more. Uh, Singleness is not second-class citizenship in the kingdom, far from it. Uh, It's not the main focus of this passage, so I'm not going to say too much more, really, about singleness today, other than that the weight of the disciples' question, really, is, wow, so marriage is really serious. Uh, Many of you are single, quite a young congregation, at least out here today. The students aren't quite back yet, are they? But still, a lot of you still young, Uh, many of you not married. Be careful who you choose. Okay, if you want to get married, that is a good thing. You shouldn't feel it's somehow second-class citizenship to get married. It's a good thing to want to get married. But be careful who you choose. Uh, If if you wanted a personal trainer, when my wife and I were going out, um, she was a lawyer down in London before I ruined everything, and... um, in the square where she where she works, it's a nice square where her offices were. Uh, at lunchtime, um, lots of the kind of you know nice wealthy lawyers would have their own personal trainers. They take them out and all the rest of it. If you're choosing a personal trainer, and you put out an ad, you apply you know apply here, and you got a few CVs through, and the first one said, "Oh, you know, I'll be a great personal trainer. I've got brown hair." <laughs> so I could do anything. Oh, I'll be a great personal trainer. I own a cat. Okay, who cares? Oh, great personal trainer. I, I play the violin. I'm fluent in Spanish. I can whistle the whole theme tune, you know, to Titanic. Who cares? Okay, that is not what personal training is about. I want someone who's going to make me healthy and fit. Uh, now, okay, stupid example, but marriage, so often, I slightly think men are worse than this, I'm afraid. So young men, you can listen in particular. Maybe girls are just more sensible. Maybe you can correct me afterwards, uh, women, if I've just got this wrong. But, 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 but our filter, what we, what we look for, is not... Is this person going to really help me live for Jesus and arrive safely home in heaven? But much more earthly things. Okay, we're, we're driven by the eyes okay, rather than the mind. Look for a spouse who is going to help you model the gospel, help you serve Jesus. Not simply the, the wealthiest or the prettiest or whatever it may be. J.C. Ryle, who's a bishop of Liverpool, evangelical bishop of Liverpool, said he was talking to young men, hence talking about wives, but the reverse is true. He said this, uh, your wife will either be handcuffs or wings for you. Either handcuffs or wings. Okay. Your spouse is the person who will most affect your Christian life and therefore most affect eternity, humanly speaking. So, listen to the disciples' questions and choose wisely. You're not looking for perfection because they'll not find it. You are looking for someone who is going to do what Jesus does for his people. And that's where we end. Jesus does not come and enter into a contract with you. He's offered to you today, even if you're, you walk through the door knowing nothing about him. He's offered to you today. God's offered to you today is not, if you can perform, then I will let you become one of my people. But I am willing to love you unconditionally. Just come to me. His proposal came earlier in Matthew's gospel. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. What you need to know ultimately about marriage is not 10 rules for a blissful home, but rather the love of the Lord Jesus that unconditionally is poured upon you. Who even when you've messed up a thousand times always have you, will always have you back, will never cast you away. And he promises one day to feast with you in heaven. And when that is the centre of your life, 
Well, all the ups and downs of married life are somewhat relativised. Not easy, but relativised. Singleness, painful as it can be, it is not ultimately destroying because the Lord God of the universe has poured his unconditional love on you and promises one day to bless you without measure when his son finally returns. In that sense, there are no single Christians. The whole church is engaged to the Lord Jesus and the promises and the blessings of that wedding day when it arrives are simply beyond belief. Marriage made in heaven and one day revealed in all its glory in heaven too. Let's pray. Our Father, your, your word is rich and challenging. It pierces uh, to the depths of our being. And as we think about marriage in particular, uh, we pray so much for your mercy and grace. I pray for mercy for those uh, who long to be married, uh, but for whom at the moment uh, it is not the reality. Uh, Lord, would they know your great love and the great hope to which you've called us. I pray for those who are married, uh, but who are struggling, finding the path difficult. Again, Lord, uh, would you uh, remind us, fill us with joy at the great covenant you've entered into. And might we give ourselves unconditionally not to receive, but to bless. Our Father, we pray for those uh, growing up, our children as they grow up. Uh, that they would see in our marriage, imperfect as they are, the love and the grace, the self-giving of the Lord Jesus uh, and learn uh, to rejoice in him. Bless us, we pray, in his name. Amen. Amen.